We are this morning in Mark chapter 2. So if you do have your Bibles here, I want you to open up in Mark chapter 2 verse 18. Mark chapter 2 verse 18. We're slowly progressing our way through the gospel (coughs) according to Mark. Mark chapter 2 verse 18. He says, The disciples of John and those of the Pharisees were fasting. They were fasting. And they came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and those of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the sons of the bride bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then they shall fast in those days. And no one sew or sew a patch of new cloth on old garment, else it takes away from its fullness the new from the old and worse tear occurs. No one puts new wine into old wineskins, else the new wine bursts the wineskin and the wine spill, and the wine skills will be ruined. The new wine must be put into new wineskins. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word, the public reading of your word. And I know, Lord, that your word is powerful, it is living, and is sharper than a two-edged sword. And Father, this morning, I pray that it becomes the discerner of our hearts. As we look into this passage, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit speak to us. Teach us this morning, Lord. Help us to grow in our faith. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we find this morning, and we're going to talk about Christian fasting. We all know what fasting is, don't we? It's keeping you away from food. And here we find in this passage that the disciples of John fasted, and the disciples of the Pharisees fasted, and they came to Jesus with a question. And we find that every time now, we see a conflict when Jesus has got a meeting. It started off when he started healing people, and started off when um, they they asked the questions about who can forgive sin, and it is Jesus who can forgive sin. And he had this conversation every single time with them now. Now every time, it's like they've got their magnifying glasses on Jesus to see his every move, his every word that he's going to say, it is under the magnifying glass. And so is every child of God. If you call yourself a Christian in the world today, let it be known that the world will look at you, every single movement, every single thing that you say, the world will look at. Why? Because they want to show you as a hypocrite. They want to cut you out. Some of them will even throw a sentence to you, or an idea, or a a principle, or, or something at you, just to see your reaction. And this is, this is the same as Jesus. Remember what he said. He said that we will not be tempted less than him. We will be tempted in the same way. So wherever you go and you're a child of God and you're Christian and people know about it. And if you just slip up, they'll go, yeah, got you, got you right there. I thought you said you're a Christian. Have you heard that in your life? But who knows that Christians sometimes fail? Who knows that? Who knows that we sometimes say foolish things? 
Who knows that we sometimes make the wrong decisions? We all do that. But here is Jesus who never made it. And they come every single time at him, trying to trip him up, trying to catch him out. And these were the, the high society of the religion, the Pharisees who came. And, and we see this every single time a conflict where he meets. And every single time that we've seen in the past few weeks, he had to defend himself in a way. But let me just say it in this way. When I say defend, we don't have to defend God, okay? Children of God don't have to defend God. He doesn't need you to defend him because he's God on his own. We need to defend the faith, yes, but not God. But every single time they come to Jesus, he answers their questions. Now we see that they saw that they couldn't trip him up. Now they focus on his disciples. And let me tell you, somebody will try you out, and if they can't get their way with you, they will try to seek in your family the weak link to try to get to you. Have you noticed that? They'll try to find the weak link. And here they come and they say, Ah, we get it. We get it you might be a rabbi. We get it that you know the scriptures. But what about your disciples, the ones who follow you? Look at John's disciples. Look at the Pharisees. They fast, but you don't. And your, uh, your disciples don't. And this is the question we are looking at today, the question of fasting. Now, fasting is a spiritual discipline. That's what it is. And it's important to Christians. It is still important for us today, fasting. We find it through the Bible that they fasted. There's so many accounts of it. I've got a plethora of scriptures that I could have given you today about fasting. But let me just give you two of, of the disciples. In Acts chapter 13 verse 2 he says, And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. They fasted. They kept them away from food. The Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So these men were ministering to the Lord. They were praying to God, but they also fasted certain days to, to humble themselves. Acts 14 verse 23, so, they, so when they appointed elders in every church and prayed fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So fasting is important. It is, a, it is a Christian discipline. It's a spiritual discipline. And fasting is both an outward sign of humility and a regret of sin. So when you fast, it's an outward sign. If you keep yourself away from food, it is a sign of humility. Because these bodies of us is not like machines that keeps on going. If we don't put food into it, what will happen? You will get tired, you will get weak, and eventually if you stop eating, you will die. We need food. Now if we withhold food, it's a humble experience. I fasted in my life, and I tell you it is. It makes you humble. It makes you aware and appreciate the things that we get so easy these days. And it's an inner discipline that clears the mind and keeps the spirit alert. If you fasted, you will know what I'm talking about. The times when you fast, it clears the mind somehow. It's, it is a wonderful thing. It just clears. I remember the times that I fasted. When you fast a couple of days, you are so alert. It's as if something happens. 
And it's good for your taste buds, by the way, as well. I have found sometimes when I fast for days that water becomes so sweet, it, it feels as if there's sugar in water. Have you come to that point yet? When you fast it? You drink the water and you go, who's put sugar in here? It's a good thing to fast for your body, for, for, body, for health-wise, but now we talk about the spiritual, the inner discipline that happens here. Now, fasting empties the body of food, whilst repentance empties the life of sin. These are connected. It's beautiful, isn't it? And these men, they were fasting. The Jews were required once a year. Now get this now, because I'm going to get to the point here. The Jews were required to fast only one time a year, and that was on the Day of Atonement. This is why I connect fasting also with repentance. The Day of Atonement was the day when you come before Lord, the Lord, and you repented of your sin. You come, you bring your animal, it is a whole spiritual thing that went on. And you come and you repent of your sin before God, and you fast it. Showing humility, showing that, that spiritual discipline to hold back from food before the Lord God. Only once a year. This was in Leviticus. But now, when we come to this passage now in the New Testament, the Pharisees, you see they've changed it a little bit. Now they were fasting twice a week. How many times is that a year? Oh, it is so spiritual, isn't it, to be fasting? Twice a week, these people were fasting. So it became a ritual to them. It became religion to them. And this is the danger that you and I have to be aware of. Beware when something that God instituted, it was on the Day of Atonement for the repentance and for humility and for a spiritual uh, uh, discipline. Now they've changed it into a religion and into a ritual. And these men, when they fasted, they changed their faces. Oh, they became so sad. When they walked around, you could see their countenance was down and they changed their faces and they puffed their faces white so that everybody can see that man is a spiritual and a religious man. Look at him, he's fasting. But that was never what fasted was intended for. It wasn't. So when you read these passages and you read about this, you need to understand and put it into context. You need to go to the Old Testament and see what God put in and how man changed it. Because the danger here is of people making their own laws and force others to obey them. That is one of the biggest dangers in the church today. Where people read the Word of God, they've got an understanding of the Word of God, and now they make rules out of that, and when you become to them, they make you their disciple, and then they teach you what they think of the Scripture, and they make it a religion, and they catch people here, and they put chains around these people, and it is only a religion. It's not joyful. Serving God needs to be joyful, isn't it? And even in fasting, it should be a joy. How wonderful is it to know that He takes your sin away when you repent? How wonderful is it? If you know He takes your sin away, are you going to walk with a countenance down? Are you going to paint your face white and walk around and, and, and go be sad? No, this is a joyous occasion. 
Now look, I, I remember I can tell you many stories that I've come across in my life ministering the Word of God. I know of a man in New Zealand who had a small following, who started to follow him, and this is what he said. He said, listen, God only listens to you when you pray at 4 a.m. in the morning. 4 o'clock. That's when God listens to you. Because everything is quiet around. And I'm just sitting there and thinking, one, it's 4 o'clock here, the world is still buzzing. Because it's daytime on another day. But look, this man had a small men, a group of men following him, and they believed that. It was a religion to them. And they started getting up at four in the morning, and man, the first few times it feels good. We're doing something for God. We're feeling good, you see. But the gospel is never about feelings, is it? It's not about feeling good. These poor men started praying four o'clock in the morning. Nothing wrong with praying 4 o'clock in the morning. But if it becomes a religion and a ritual, that's where the problem comes in. One of these men came to me and he was so exhausted. He said, Pastor, I can't do it. I said, what do you mean? He says, I can't follow God. I can't serve Him. I said, what do you mean? He says, I'm working late at night. And it's going till 12 o'clock and then I've got to get up at 4 a.m. I'm burning out. I'm so tired. I can't keep my eyes open. I can't concentrate at work. I said, where did you get this? Oh, no, this man said, he said, God only listens to you when you pray at four. I said, so don't you think that God knows you're tired? Don't you know that? But there's many more. This same man told people, he said to them, look at you. You look and you smell like fishermen. You need to put in a tie. And for some time, man, the church was well-dressed. People started putting on ties, you know. They're coming in, I go, whoa. What is going on here? You know, that looks really good. Everybody, I better wear a tie. By the way, ties were made by friends way after Christ. I never saw Jesus Christ wearing a tie. And I'm not against people. Don't, don't you know, go and say, are you preaching about people who's doing that? No, it's beautiful, you know. You can put a pocket square in. I do have a pocket square. You just pull it out and there you go. It, it replaces the tie. So here is the thing, you know, people are walking around and going, now we need to wear ties because we need, to look, we need to look presentable before God. And I go, how presentable are you before God when you get into the shower? Because He's omnipresent, He's omnipotent, He sees everything, everywhere. You see, what am I getting at here? It's the same thing that happened here with these people. They took something God gave them, fasting, and they wrote their own rules. And now we're following rules. And now, if I miss one fasting in a week, man, I'm in the dog box. I'm, I'm in trouble with God. That's not what it's intended. Can you see the problem here? And this is where you and I need to be so vigilant, so careful. When people come to you with a thing, if it's not in the Word of God, and let me just add this on, if it's not in the Word of God in context, and if it sounds like a rule, you don't have to obey that. Now, I'm not talking about rules, and, and the Bible is still law. We still, the law is still here, but we're not under the law. Jesus Christ, he he, he, you know what, it can be fulfilled the law. 
So you, you still can't steal, can you now? Now I'm born again now and Jesus Christ come and he, he demolished. No, he didn't demolish the law. He fulfilled the law. In him we are fulfilling the law. So we're still not going to steal. And, we, and it's not now a free, clean slate that you can go and kill somebody. Because if you kill somebody, you're still breaking the law of God. But you can't make your own laws. There's so many people in the world today who's under the yoke of burden of, of set rules of people of a misunderstanding of the word of God. The truth will set you free. The word is the truth and that sets you free. So here is the danger that these men had. We read about this. Let me read to you here in Matthew 6 verse 16. Jesus talks about this himself. He says, moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites. What is a hypocrite? The name for a hypocrite is an actor. We all know actors, don't we? When you watch a movie or something, and you see an actor coming on stage, and he's trying to play a role of somebody, he's not really, it's not really him, but he plays a role of somebody else. He's taking on the role of somebody who he's not. That's what a hypocrite is. And Jesus comes here and he says, Do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. They fast with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. They walk around them, I'm fasting. You come up to them joyful, you know, what a beautiful day. Look what God has given us life. It's a beautiful day today and everything. And you walk up to this person and go, oh, oh, it's so tough today. Go, what is going on? You're still young. You Look at you. You're fit and healthy. Oh, I'm just not eating today, brother. Why are you not eating? I'm fasting, you know. That spiritual thing, you know, I'm doing. This is how they've walked. This is how it is. Oh, now I see it. Whoa, you're a very spiritual man. Whoa. No, this is not how it's supposed to be. Serving God is a joy. And here he says, they disfigure their faces that they may appear. That's what a hypocrite is. An actor. He appeared to men to be fasting. Assuredly, Jesus says, I say to you, they have their reward. They are showing everybody how it is. They've got their reward. But you, when you fast, look at this now, anoint your head and wash your face. How's that going to make you feel? Joyful. People wouldn't see it. In fact, people will come around and say, there's something special about you today. What's going on? Now you're not going to go, hey, it's because I'm fasting. I'm fasting. No, no. It's just because the joy of the Lord starts filling your heart. Why? Why? Because He's giving you something. It's a joy to serve God. It's not tough to serve God. Look, I'm not saying there's not problems coming you know. I'm talking from you. It's a joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's what it is. He says, anoint your head. When you anoint your head, what do you do it with? With oil. It gives you a shine. Okay, anoint your head. It touches your mind. And then he says, wash your face. Have you seen when you go into the bathroom in the morning when you wake up and you stand in front of the mirror? I know when I see his wrinkles and everything and I go, oh, who's this guy? <laughs> Where did you come from? But then you wash your face and you look up and what's happening? It looks fresher. 
cold water on your face. He says, man, you look fresh. You look anointed. And now he says, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Openly. You see, the danger of this fasting sometimes is a danger of people becoming spiritual snobs. You know what a snob is? Spiritual snobs. I've seen it in my life. Oh, I'm way more spiritual than you. How long have you been serving the Lord? Ah, you know, the Lord graciously saved my soul a year ago. Oh, but I'm 15 years now already on the road. You've got so much to learn. Spiritual snobs. I'm fasting twice a day, a week. Fasting? I've never fasted in my life. What is fasting? Oh, I do it twice, twice a week, twice a week. I wonder how they do it. So here he talks about that. Luke chapter 18 verse 9, he says also he spoke the parable to someone who trusted in themselves. This is it. They trusted in who? In themselves. They trust not in God, but they trust in themselves. This is what happens when you start writing your own rules and you start living by those rules. Who do you trust in? You need to trust in yourself to keep those rules. This is what happens. When I get that black forest cake and I put it in the fridge, which I absolutely love, what happens? I trust myself that I'm not going to eat the whole thing. But what happens? I break that trust. <laughs> I break that trust. And this is what always happens when you trust in yourself. Look, the Bible is very clear in that. He says it there, do not trust in princes. What does it mean? Do not trust in man. In you yourself is a man or a woman. Don't trust in yourself. And Jesus puts this parable in there about fasting, about religious acts. He says this parable about someone who trusted in themselves. That's the key to the parable, that they were righteous. You see, they trusted in themselves that, hey, I am righteous. I'm going to keep up this righteous acting of mine and despised others. So, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And I love it. When the Lord took one of the most hated, I told you last week, tax collectors were one of the most hated ones. And he put them up against the Pharisees, which is at the upper escalon. The snob. He put these two up against each other. When they walk down the street, the average man will say, Pharisee, thumbs up. Tax collector, oh, get out of the way. He puts these two up for you to see. He said they came in to pray. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God! Now I need to do it like him. God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men. You see, it's always because his reference point is from himself. I am the one on, on the mantelpiece. I am my own God. I'm better than everybody else. He says, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterous, and even this tax collector. Look at him now. I fast. How many times? Twice a week he puts up the charade. Twice a week he disfigures his face. Twice a week, it's a burden. He says twice a week, I give tithes and all I possess. And the tax collector, this hated man, let's listen to his prayer. He was standing afar off. He wasn't even coming close to them. 
You know, I'm not worthy even to go into the midst of those groups there. But praise God, if the groups pushes you out and you're in God's group, you're in the right group. Amen? He was standing afar off. Would not so much as to raise his eyes to heaven and beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. A good lesson, isn't it? Paul cuts us up on this in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 12, he says, Do not think of yourself higher than you ought to. Do not think of yourself higher than you ought to. But we all fall into that category sometimes, don't we? The older we get, the better I was. The story grows legs, isn't it? So he tells the story. And now we see the accusation. And I want to show you something here. Because, I mean, we see the disciples of John and those of the Pharisees were fasting. Which makes you think, wait a minute. Why did they class the disciples of John the Baptist with the Pharisees? And this is the danger. I want to read to you now the account, the same account out of Matthew. Out of Matthew. Um, chapter 8. Um, chapter 9. Let me just get the passage here. So chapter, chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9 verse 14. Listen to this now. Same passage. Then the disciples of John. Because if you read it in Mark, he says the disciples of John and those of the Pharisees were fasting. And they came to, and said to him, why do John's disciples and those of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. He says, and they came to him. Who is the they that came to him? We automatically, when we read this passage, think it's the Pharisees, isn't it? Don't we? He says, the disciples of Jones and the Pharisees were fasting, and they came to and said to him, why do John's disciples and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Who's the they? One would think it's the Pharisees. We get a clear answer here in this passage. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him. The disciples of John came to him and say, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? So who came to Jesus and asked this question? The disciples of John. Not the Pharisees. Which makes me think, wait a minute. John the Baptist, what was his purpose? He says it himself. He says, I'm the forerunner for Christ. I'm only the one who came and prepared the way for Christ. Isn't that right? You can go read all about it. And when he came out and started preaching, what did he get? He started getting disciples following him. And what did he teach them? The baptism of repentance. And when Jesus Christ came on the scene, what did he say? Behold the Lamb of God. And his ministry ended that day. 
His ministry ended. All he did is he took his people and he says, Behold the Lamb of God, and you now become the followers of Christ. This is all a pastor needs to do. I don't have followers. Nobody in this room is my followers. And if you say to somebody you're my follower, you're in error. I've never intended to make you my follower. I'll be in error and you will be in error. And this is so magnified today in this passage. So John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God. He attaches the people to Jesus. You need to now follow Jesus. Yes, he can keep on preaching, but what is his message now going to be? Behold the Lamb of God. What is his sermon going to be? Behold the Lamb of God. No more the baptism of repentance. Where is repentance now? The Lamb of God. Everything points to Christ. Now these disciples of John, what did they do? They started looking at the Pharisees. Didn't they? They started looking at the Pharisees. Oh, and the Pharisees look so religious. And we follow John the Baptist. And what do we do? We want to be religious. So we're going to write our own rules. We're going to become ritual. They say it there. We now identified that they, the disciples of John, came to him and said, Why do John's disciples and the Pharisees fast? So for their reference point was the Pharisees. We're going to do what the Pharisees do. They didn't follow Christ. They still follow John. This is the problem today with mega churches and superstar pastors. They don't follow Christ, they follow the man. This is the error. This is what I want to show you here. So this is it. They come and they say, we, we fast like them. That's how quickly it can happen. Just like that. When somebody comes to you and they tell you something and, you want, and they want you to follow them, test the spirit. How do you test somebody's spirit? I've oftentimes said it from this pulpit, test my spirit. How do you test somebody's spirit? Through the word of God. Through the word of God. He says, why does this happen? And I love it when Jesus comes. Jesus explained to them that it's been, fasting should be joyful. Following Christ should be joyful. And this is not a time now to fast. Because look at those Pharisees, they look so sad. They disfigure their faces. Look at John's disciples. They look so sad. They disfigure their faces. And here is the bridegroom. Now let me ask you, when you put a, a wedding feast on, are you going to fast that week? No, it's joyful. What happens? The bridegroom is there. It's a joyful occasion. This is what Jesus says. He says, and Jesus said to them, can the sons of a, in the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? Ministry is supposed to be joyful. As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away. The Greek for that, shall be taken away, points towards the cross. The day will come when they fast. But it's not the time now. So continue on with your religion of every, you know, tw twice a week. But these disciples are now with the bridegroom and they're going to be joyful. They're going to be, you see, they, they wanted Jesus to come and to go to the Old Testament and to change the Testament, to take the old, the old law and to take the old doctrine. They wanted him to put it down and to build a new doctrine. This is what they wanted to do. But he comes and he says, no, I'm here, the bridegroom is here, and they will be joyful. We must rejoice when Christ is still with us.
the ministry is not a sad affair. And this is not the way that they portrayed. And this is now. This is why he uses these examples. Exactly that. He says in verse 21, And no one who sew a patch of new cloth on an old garment, else it takes away from it its fullness, the new from the old, and worse tear or curse. And no one puts wine in old wineskins, else the new wine will burst the wineskin, and the wine will spill out of it. This is what they say. You see, Jesus cuts right through the religious tape with these two examples. He says to them, I'm not here and I'm going to take the old. I'm fulfilling the old. I'm not going to give you new stuff which you can put. Take the old and put new stuff in there and mix it up. It will tear it all apart. This is new. He came and he fulfilled the law. That's what he tells them. They had their old religion. They fasted twice a week again. They, they were with sad faces. They tied. That's the old garment and the old wine skill. He's not, he's not here to teach them the old religion. He's here to give them the new life. So the danger is to take from the old and start building your own laws. And the danger is to listen and to follow people's laws instead of Christ. Fasting is important. And I highly recommend it. I highly recommend for you to fast. A child of God should fast. You should become before the Lord. But in your own time. I know, I know, you know, there's certain times when, when something happens and you come before the Lord and say, Father, I, I pray for this thing that's going to happen and, and I want to fast. I want to fast. It shows humility before the Father. You can do that. But don't make it a law. Don't make it a rule. Because one day you're going to break the rule and you're going to stand before God and you're going to say, oh, I've broken it. And something that's broken is broken. So this is his fasting. John's disciples, and one would have thought they would have listened to John when he passed him over to Jesus and followed Christ. Amen? If somebody can call my wife, we'll pray and we'll sing a song. Short sermon today. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. And Father, in context, when we see this passage, we understand that Jesus Christ came 